to Libraryland Loves, a podcast from OLA. I believe that libraries are full of the most passionate people on the planet. People who are passionate about their careers, about the people they're serving, about the programs they're running. And that passion doesn't end there. Be it the coffee they're drinking or the pop culture they're consuming, Libraryland loves a lot. Hello, Libraryland. I am very excited today to speak with the formidable Wendy Newman, or as I like to call her, the Meryl Streep of libraries. Wendy is quite possibly the loveliest human and the biggest supporter for libraries and really the best person to talk about how to talk about your library, how to make supporters out of people who might not already be library supporters. She's the former CEO of Brantford Public Library. She's the former, she is a former CLA president, and most recently she's retired as senior fellow at the Faculty of Information at the University of Toronto. When she was at U of T, she actually developed the very first course in advocacy in an ALA accredited program, and then she adapted it to create the iSchool's very first MOOC, which was called Library Advocacy Unshushed. And that program so far has had over 8,000 registrations, which is amazing. Um, It's because of her advocacy work that we are speaking with Wendy today. As we head into election season, uh, we are here to discuss the top five ways libraries should engage in municipal politics. I hope you enjoy and that you learn a few tricks to help you advocate for your own library. Hello, Wendy. Hello, Michelle. How are you? I am well and happy to be here. Excellent. We are very happy to have you. Um, So, Wendy, I know I've I've mentioned that you are retired from... uh, your professional duties of library land, but why don't you tell us a little bit about how you stay connected to that world? I am really happy to to be connected in so many ways. I am still on the advisory team and um, and one of the instructors in the PL Leaders Program, which is a partnership between uh, the Canadian Urban Libraries Council and the iSchool at the University of Toronto for senior high potential people Mm -hmm. to help prepare them for senior leadership roles in urban public libraries. So that's an important volunteer commitment. I'm still a member of several library associations. I still speak at conferences. I come to listen at conferences. I have mentoring relationships with a number of people uh, in the, you know, active in the field. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm a, I, I'm in the cheering section in library land these days. That's lovely. That's a great uh, place to be, I think, in library land, kind of perched up, just cheering from the wings. I like that picture of you. Um, and I have to say that for me, you are my number one resource when it comes to all things advocacy, advocating, uh, thinking about how libraries need to talk about themselves and and get their own cheerleaders in their communities and that kind of thing. So I know you recently spoke at the Marketing Libraries Think Tank. Thank you very much. Um, and that was a really good opportunity, I think, for libraries from all sectors to start thinking about this issue. But what we're talking today about specifically is advocating because it's election time. It's municipal election time. And to get libraries thinking a little bit more about that. Is that right? Yes. Yes, I have, I think, five points that are very close to my heart and very close to my brain 
about libraries and the election environment. So we're counting down to number one, is that right? That's right. We're okay. counting from five down to one. All right, so let's start at number five. Number five, I think, is just to, to internalize the reality that in library land, we are always in an election year. Mm -hmm. Because we contend in a political process for money and for support. So every library's maxim, this U.S. advocacy um, organization that I've been talking about, said that in effect, every librarian is a candidate for office mm -hmm. and the library is the incumbent. And when you think about that, mm -hmm. it changes the way we focus and it changes and and strengthens the urgency of all this. So as every library says, and I agree, we need to strengthen our political literacy. We need to understand campaign processes and learn from them. We have mm -hmm. to learn, for example, how to simplify messages mm -hmm. and how to target the people that are going to make the greatest difference. Uh, because we are in competition. We are in competition all the time. And I know out there people think and reporters write that we're in competition with the internet. We're not. We're in competition with the parks department. Mm -hmm. We are in competition with the police department. We are in contention with all services that can make a perfectly good case for public dollars. Mm -hmm. That's the competition we're in. And we know now from research and from bitter experience that high use does not translate into mm -hmm. higher funding. So I guess point number five, never leave this to chance. Okay. That's huge. <laughs> well, it is. It's a biggie yeah. and it imparts um, urgency and there is an imperative mm -hmm. in it. Um, and I don't know if this infringes on any of your other numbers, but off the top of your head, what do you think would be the easiest way for people to start engaging with the political process so that they can understand how it works in their community, in their town? Well, that, that works perfectly into point number four, oh, which is to do our homework. Okay. You know, to, to work from data and not hunches. Mm -hmm. Because advocacy is really chillingly scientific. It's not about having the gift of the gab. Mm -hmm. It's about being prepared and focused. So, I mean, the first thing you need to understand is what is the decision-making process mm -hmm. that you're dealing with? Who has the power to make the decision that you seek. Mm -hmm. And who are the people and what are the processes that influence that decision making? Uh, and, and, and from there, things like what do those decision makers love and value? And to what are they committed? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we think everybody loves libraries and that translates into votes. Mm -hmm. But love doesn't translate. Uh, directly into votes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a wrong assumption. So, what kinds of, we need to do the homework that says, what kinds of people speak up for libraries? Mm -hmm. Who are they? What are they like? Why did they do that? Mm -hmm. So, we, we have some research that we can draw on, and a great piece of it is the research done by OCLC. Um, and the big lesson of the OCLC research is not users. There is almost no relationship between library users 
and library supporters. Interesting. Library supporters, that is the people who will always or who will probably speak out, speak up, vote, etc., um, are people who are um, highly active in communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're highly connected people, and they and they have a belief that libraries are transformative. They themselves are typically not members, they're not users, but they believe that the library matters to the community Hmm. and that to lose a library would be devastating for Mm -hmm. a community. And furthermore, attitudinally, these people, the other thing we know about them is that they are, their support is galvanized by seeing what they call passionate librarians involved in the community. So that implies for us that we need to be out there listening. We need to understand decision-making processes and we need to understand who our supporters are and what makes them speak up. And none of this happens in our offices. Mm -hmm. It's all from interactions, from having our eyes and ears open, from being in the out, out there in community, being visible in our involvements. Um, being at the table, understanding what the issues are, um, and doing that research. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you some research sources. I mean, FOPL is a good source in mm-hmm. Ontario, OCLC, I've mentioned, every library, ALA, uh, a report done for CLA just a few years ago that has a lot of great talking points mm-hmm. and great kind of analysis. Um, so so that doing of the homework mm-hmm. is really important mm-hmm. and preparation is everything. Yeah. And I mean, I know we're speaking a lot specifically about public libraries right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I kind of want to just loop in the academic angle because I feel Indeed. like, you know, there there's so much happening that is... Um, a threat to academic libraries, and very often I, I I think I've heard when college and university libraries hear about advocacy, they don't think about it applying to them Indeed. because they think about this public library angle. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything you can speak to in terms of that sector? Exactly the same principle mm-hmm. applies, and that is people like governments, like mayors, like university presidents and vice presidents. Mm-hmm do things for their reasons. And they uh, there is a, an excellent ACRL project, ACRL being the Academic Libraries Division of ALA on library valuation. And Professor Megan Oakleaf wrote this landmark paper in which she noted the declared priorities of the post-secondary sector and then concluded quite with concern that Academic libraries generally weren't speaking to those priorities or didn't generally have the data on impact Mm. that supported those priorities. So ACRL uh, embarked on a lot of work, the valuation project, and just yesterday I got an email with the note of the publication of a two-volume work that, that shows academic libraries, how to match themselves up with those declared priorities. I mean, for example, universities care about student, attracting students and retaining students. So what have academic libraries got to say Mm -hmm. about their impact on 
the attractiveness of the university for potential students and top-end faculty. Of course, that's another coin of the realm in academia. And what's their role in student retention Mm -hmm. and student success and so on. So that's the language we need to be speaking. Mm -hmm. And just because the advocacy of the academic library is internal to the university, uh, yes, doesn't really mean that the principles are any different. Exactly, it's yeah. understanding your decision-making process and understanding the priorities mm-hmm. of the people whose support we are seeking. Absolutely, that sounds like a really practical tool from ACRL. All right, that brings us to number three. Number three, um, really, really simple principle known to everybody who tries to sell you things, um, anybody who's involved in politics, marketing, and that is that people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. And this includes all these political parties we've been talking about, university officers, everyone who makes decisions about where money goes. So if we're going to get the right message to the right people and not just be part of the noise Mm -hmm. that surrounds them, You know, Mm -hmm. they're not lacking in demands. (laughs) Um, It's about speaking their language and respecting and addressing their priorities. We tend to speak a victim language Mm -hmm. to one another and sometimes to our decision makers. Um, We need to be speaking asset language. Mm. Give me an example of victim language. Um, We've suffered another blow. All these cutbacks. We've had to cut these journals. We've had, yes, Mm -hmm. we have had. Mm -hmm. We still present huge assets. Mm. The work of libraries is transformative in all the areas in which we work, in research and development, Mm -hmm. in, um, you know, business development, in community development, and in academia. So the thing is to know what our stories are Mm -hmm. and what are measured impacts are and then to match those stories and those impacts with the people who are going to care about those kinds of impacts Mm -hmm. and it starts with knowing what our stories are Mm -hmm. and it starts with knowing who our targets are and what they care about we've been sending you know love messages out into the air in fact there has to be and I mean, this is, this is done in elections, quite fine-tuned connecting mm. of messages with targets. So, for example, in the public library realm, what are our talking points about public libraries and preschool learning? Mm. I personally think we should stop calling those programs story time. They are reading readiness programs. Interesting. And we have measured impacts mm-hmm. on that on on family literacy You're behaviors right. what are our talking points about people in job transition mm-hmm. in an economy that's that's just so different from mm-hmm. the economy of 50 years ago of 20 years ago and what are our talking points in public libraries about newcomer settlement about poverty reduction. Mm-hmm. I mean, public libraries are one of the few strategies that actually work yeah. because of the value placed on equity. Hmm. And there are equivalents 
and they're identified in this valuation project of ACRL in academic libraries. And so we need to understand our decision makers' priorities Mm -hmm. in order to feed them the right information and in order to talk the language of impact and success and building and the library of the future Hmm. and not draw overly on nostalgia about the past. Nostalgia has a place in advocacy. It's a shrinking place. Yes, definitely. Are there any libraries out there that you see doing this kind of thing really well? Uh, Edmonton is extremely good oh, at okay. it. Um, they have, um, if you look at their uh, application for Library of the Year, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, which I believe is on their website, mm-hmm. they have all their lines in all the activities that they're about um, for uh, all the, you know, urban homelessness, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, they do that very well Uh, I I always look at what Vickery Bowles says Mm -hmm. in the media about uh, Toronto Public Library and smart communities Mm -hmm. Um, she she phrases it very well Uh, many libraries are are good at talking points I have to say Following the Facebook presence of many libraries, they tend, in my view, to talk rather too much about come and use the library mm-hmm. and could talk more about why the library is worth supporting, mm-hmm. what's important about the library. That's interesting. Because we're not dying from lack of use, but you can die from lack of money, right. as British libraries mm-hmm. are finding to their horror. It's interesting that those little turns of phrase, visit versus support, story time versus reading readiness, like those little tiny adjustments and how it changes your perspective. Yes. It's our zoom zoom. I used to use that analogy and when I was teaching, you know, the little boy whispering zoom zoom. What's that got to do with the wheelbase, the safety record, the (laughs) mileage? I mean, nothing. It's true. It has to do with how you feel about that car, which turned out to be the big driver of car sales. Mm. And that ad has been studied and studied as a case in, you know, how to touch people, Mm -hmm. how to be evocative, how to radicalize them. Uh, Every library organization uses the word radicalize people, Mm -hmm. how to, you know, how how to activate their understanding and support. Mm-hmm. We're doing less of that and more of the use and isn't this cool. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Not that that doesn't have a place. Sure. Yeah. yeah, but you can't live on it. No. All right. Number two? I think we're at number two. Yes, we're yeah, at number, number two. two. That is that advocacy is all about relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, we trust and believe people with whom we already have. Uh, some kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. So what we're looking to do in all kinds of ways is to build relationships of credibility and trust. That is, we know what we're talking about, we can speak with authority and clarity, and that we're trustworthy. 
not just with people who use the library. We have very good relationships with them. But we need to be more systematic and intentional about relationships with what I call influential non-users. Mm -hmm. These people that OCLC found mm -hmm. are our biggest supporters. So uh, in an election context, that means we should know and have some kind of relationship with all the candidates. We need to do that in a nonpartisan way. We need to make sure that they know. And I mentioned Edmonton earlier. Uh, they have I love EPL lawn signs. Mm. And candidates for municipal office couldn't help but notice that there were more of those <laughs> around Edmonton than there were for any specific candidate. Wow. Now that's kind of uh, kind of cheeky, kind of, but it's you know it's a way of having a presence. Mm -hmm. um, when you get to know candidates from the point of view of just informing mm -hmm. them about the fact that some municipal money goes to, some provincial money goes to uh, public libraries and there's high payback uh, from that investment. It is a way of respecting them, informing them, taking them into the circle is a way of respecting them. Mm. And in uh, recent history, when I think we were very good at um, developing relationships with government backbenchers from rural and small town Ontario, I believe, although we'll never know the whole story because it's it's you know cabinet confidence, I believe that they are the people who pulled the old Bill 109 under the Harris government out of the fire. Hmm. They were, um, and, and, and so so informing them, respecting them, never ever ever being partisan, never ridiculing, never embarrassing. Mm -hmm. It's about informing and engaging. And I think in library land, we have tended to be largely, you know, of center-left mm -hmm. political persuasion. These are not the only people who care about libraries. Mm -hmm. They put it differently. They have different assumptions. But Lance Werner, Librarian of the Year mm -hmm. this past year, actually engaged the Tea Party people in his community in support of the library's budget request, hmm. actively engaged in it. Hmm. Uh, so that that can be done. Mm -hmm. And uh, we need to be careful to respect people with different assumptions and different persuasions so that they understand that their priorities are served mm -hmm. by the work of libraries in communities. Interesting. So it's all about relationships of yeah. credibility and trust. And it kind of all ties back with, you know, the research. Like, as a, as a librarian, as a leader in a library, you have that obligation to get out there to do your research, but also to, to in doing that, make yourself known in City Hall, at the city meetings, you know, in, in those groups that um, it, it just pays to kind of show your face and be the representative and even if you know library's not on the agenda indeed and to and while you're there to be in the business of that community mm -hmm. if all you're saying is library 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 right. eh, you like that gopher that pops up in right. the pictures but if you are clear that you are in the business of advancing the well-being of that community mm -hmm. whether it's in academia, a geographic community, a business, a law firm, 
then you will speak the language of the community Mm -hmm. and you will be seen as someone who is actively committed to the future of the community. And you will have opportunities to mention services and work that the that the library does that they won't know anything exactly, about. Yeah. So when you're developing those relationships, um, that that work comes back to your to your aid. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. So it's and that never happens in your office. No. It's no. all outside. And from my point of view, it is not an option. Yeah. If you're too busy keeping house to see to the future of the library. What kind of librarian are you? Mm-hmm. And what is the future for you? Indeed. Yeah. And the community served mm-hmm. by your institution, which is a real reason you're there. Interesting. Okay, that brings us to number, to number one. one. What gives this weight, what gives it importance, what engages our passion for it, is, is that it's about what we value. We value literacy. We value equity in a in a society of increased polarity and income distribution and so on. It's about freedom to read what we choose. It's about the foundations of prosperity and strong research and development and and formal and in, and informal education. That's what libraries are there for. And we all have different roles in advocacy. You know, boards have roles, CEOs have roles, librarians have roles, frontline people have roles. But if we agree on the messages, Mm -hmm. and that's really important, Mm -hmm. we all know a lot of people who find us credible and trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And we have a responsibility to grow that base of understanding. Mm-hmm. So my big point number five is don't leave this to others. You know, make make it our own. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are times when it takes real courage mm-hmm. when we are speaking against the grain. Mm-hmm. And when it feels like work that's really exposed. But we have to let that passion fuel us. And I love the way Brene Brown wrapped it up in Braving the Wilderness, because this does involve braving a wilderness. Go at it with a strong back, a soft front, and a wild heart. That's lovely. I love you, Brene Brown. Come on our podcast, Brene Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She oh. loves libraries and has spoken. Yeah, at, yeah, spoke yeah. at ALA. She's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really like the point there that you made about how advocacy isn't confined to the, you know, the upper offices of the library, because I think a lot of the listeners of this podcast are frontline uh, library staff, yes. and it's important for those people to remember they're the face most often of their library. And so coming in and the conversations that they have with the community coming in or, you know, when they're out doing community outreach events, it's so important for them to be in that same frame of mind as the leaders. Exactly. And to be in agreement about messages Mm -hmm. and to understand the imperative. I mean, I think upward delegation Mm -hmm. is an advocacy killer. Mm-hmm. We cannot leave this mm-hmm. to the people who head our institutions. Mm-hmm. Neither can we delegate it upward to our associations. You know, OLA is working really, really hard. FOPL is working really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, all, all, ACRL and KPOL and all these organizations are working hard. 
But if there's no wind beneath their wings, Mm -hmm. they cannot make much headway. Yeah. So it has to be all together. And we have to personalize this, I think. Mm -hmm. We have to make it our own. Absolutely. So we're going into uh, election season. I think everyone, October 22nd, I think is the standard date for election day. Um, Is there anything that you're doing in particular to uh, work locally in your campaigns or anything in the process you're involved with? I go to all candidates meetings. Okay. In my own ward, Mm -hmm. in my own city in Hamilton, we have had an excellent ward councillor who isn't running again. So the field is open Mm -hmm. and some good people have offered and I'm one of the people who want to make sure that they understand the value That's great. of my library and my yeah. community. Yeah. Wendy, thank you so much for your thoughts today. It's been my pleasure. For your genius brain, <laughs> for being such an amazing supporter from the wings, a cheerleader. You are an excellent and, uh, and respected resource amongst us. So thank you for being there and thank you for all of your work. It's my pleasure. I hope everybody goes forth to multiply. My thanks so much to Wendy Newman for joining us today. With the municipal elections right around the corner, we do hope that you've been inspired by Wendy to reach out to the candidates for municipal council and the school board trustees in your area. OLA is here to help and we have put together a municipal elections toolkit for libraries with step-by-step guides, tips, templates and examples to help you make an impact please visit librariesvote.ca now. That is librariesvote.ca. And remember to vote on October 22nd. Thanks so much for listening.